Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Pod by the Bay. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Join alongside me, Seth Varnador, Robert Stieg. Guys, we are fresh off one of the more exhilarating comebacks in USF history, and it's not even the biggest one. It's not even the biggest one this season, as your South Florida Bulls rally from a 17-point first-half deficit versus Charlotte to claim sole possession of first place in the American Athletic Conference with a 72-69 win over the Charlotte 49ers. Um, I want to be upfront. I want to be honest. I packed it in. Uh, I believe it was after the uh, offensive foul. I think it was Jaden Reed, um, the Charlotte defender. They had just scored, uh, and the Charlotte defender was slow walking in front of uh, Jaden Reed, and he pushes him, offensive foul, Charlotte gets the ball back. And I was like, all right. I think they were down 15 at that point in the first half. I was like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. They don't have it. And it's fine. Some teams just don't have it on certain nights. Uh, they went up against a. They were going up against a team who had, was very swaggerful and uh, loud and boisterous. Uh, Fake ass Dirk was very um, involved in in the said proceedings. And I was you know scrolling Instagram, you know Instagram Reels. I don't have TikToks. So I was you know seeing things on from TikTok from like a month ago um, as they finally entered uh, Instagram reels. And I saw, you know, USF chipped away, chipped away again. They got it within five with 104 left, I believe, or 56 seconds, one of, one of the two. Um, and USF calls a timeout. And I'm almost positive it was the use it or lose it timeout of the first half. And I was beside myself. <clears throat> Just you know, following along on the ESPN app because of what USF was able to do, you know, chipping a 17-point deficit just to a five-point deficit. Why are you calling a timeout, letting Charlotte regroup, catch their breath? Obviously, Charlotte goes down, hits a three, block, alley-oop, down 10 at halftime. I was like, all right, seriously, I'm out. And I go to sleep. Around 3.45 in the morning, my son has a bottle of water in his hand. And is shaking it in my in my face, saying, "Open it, I'm thirsty." So, meanwhile, I'm like that haze of like I opened the bottle of water, gave it to him, closed it, and I was thinking about the game. I was like, "Fake Aster probably went 11 of 12 from three. USF got blown out by 30. Whatever." Check the app. 72.69. I was pleasantly surprised. Now. I didn't go to sleep for like another hour and 15 minutes because I was stro- uh, scrolling uh, the Discord. I was scrolling Twitter. I was doing everything, catching up, enjoying uh, basking in the glow of, of that game. Um, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to watch the second half. And then I like looked at, okay, well, USF was still down 13 with 11.41 left. I'm not going to watch the first nine minutes of the second half. That's pointless. So I watched basically from when uh, Charlotte scored only six points, the last 11.41 of the game on. So that was nice. Seth, Steve, you guys watched it live. What? How was it in, in real time? Yeah, I mean, I watched from the tip, opening tip till the final. Or maybe not the opening tip because it might have, well, the previous game ran a little long. But 
uh, basically from the beginning of the game to the final. Uh, some of us are just built different that way that we, we just power through. Um, you know, it was, it felt like, uh, what is the saying in soccer? It's like a smash and grab. What is it? A smash and grab job. Is that what, it, what is that the saying? Where you, it, you kind of like, it's like when you're like, you stole the game, like you smashed the window, grabbed the stuff and left. It was, it was a game that was, um, uh, you know, you, every time they seem to make a run, Charlotte would kind of respond and you're just like, okay, it's just going to be one of those nights where they got down early. Couldn't quite get it figured out. Uh, but hey man, they, at the it end, is, they, they kind of buckled down. It is a smash and grab. Yeah. Where you basically See, show no, show no pulse. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> the EPL, uh, Sunday morning, you basically like in soccer terms, like for 85 minutes, you put up like one shot, you have like 10% possession. You're just reeling the entire time, and then you get one breakaway. It's your second shot on goal the entire game, and oh, it just so happens to find the back of the net. Which, by the way, those are absolute worst games to watch because you see it coming, you feel it coming the entire time. And that was very similar to how I was feeling about 12 minutes left when Charlotte was up uh, by 13. I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, we've been here before. This is a very odd, not great, but very familiar feeling. Um, I don't. Someone posted the graph and, and Seth, I want. I'll try to see if I can find it for you. The graph of the every team that we have played so far that we have had this incredible come from behind victory. It's always like ninety nine one percent chance of victory for the opposition up until like you know whatever point eleven minutes left, seven minutes left, whatever it is. And that graph just goes <laughs> right to USF every time. Um. I mean, I don't want to say it was fun because was for about, it, I mean, it, it ended up being fun, but like for about about an hour and 20 minutes, it was not fun. Uh, the way that Charlotte plays, not fun, not a fun team to, to play against. And, and all credit to, to Charlotte's coach, uh, Charlotte's interim head coach. Um, you know, th- they perfected the, the choke. Yes, this one. The, the choke, the suffocate, getting an extra five seconds on the shot clock. But I have something to say about that shot clock here in a minute. But yeah, this, this, not our heart rate during the game. These are <laughs> live looks at the probability, the win probability on ESPN every comfort behind victory so far. Yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see there's the Rice game, there's the Temple game, <laughs> there's the Memphis. That game. one's ridiculous. And the Charlotte game. So it's got winning, like the high winning percentages of the opponent. So Rice at one point had a 91% win expectancy. Uh, Temple 91.8. Memphis 99%. And Charlotte 97.7%. About when you started looking at the you, where you started watching back from with 12 minutes and 23 seconds left in the second half. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, yeah, it was kind of remarkable. The thing that, so watching it back, I watched it back right before we started recording here tonight. Um, the thing that nearly killed, like if I didn't know the outcome of the game, the thing that would have killed me was the three straight offensive rebounds with like about 1030 left and USF went scoreless. I, I like in the mo like I knew what happened at the end of the game. Right. And I was still so angry. I was like, what the hell? How do you get three offensive rebounds and don't score? And 
this this team is something else. They are hashtag built different. The last 11:41 of the game, USF went on a 24 to 6 run to close out that game. All right. Charlotte was held scoreless for the last five minutes and seven seconds of the game. And it, it was just a masterclass of uh, my personal favorite play was uh, the Charlotte offensive player uh, going cross, cross court and it sailing into the third row of the stands. Uh, that was that was a fun one. That's when you kind of started to see, okay, there's there's some nerves here from the 49ers uh, players. And Man, it this this team, the team, the team, the team is just they're finding different ways to win. Uh, what was interesting to me, looking back, I kind of jotted this down when I was taking some notes. Cason uh, Pryor, who has been probably the the engine, you know, some would say over the, a lot of the these clutch wins for the Bulls over the last couple of weeks. He played 14 minutes. Uh, he was subbed out at 15-13 left in the second half. Did not re-enter the game. And USF, uh, during that time span, was uh, plus 14. They went on a 24, uh, 28-14 run uh, the last 15-13 of the game to end up winning the game. You, you're like this is just serendipitous. Like you're pushing the right buttons. Like you're one of your stars. You just leave on the bench because hey man. Not your night. Bad matchup. Charlotte's much bigger. You got to play Corey Walker, who, like we mentioned in the preview on Monday, has been phenomenal over the last few games, and he carried that over to Tuesday night. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of beside myself, uh, kind of watching this game and and seeing uh, the reaction to to everything. Uh, Steve, what was in the moment? Was there a specific moment during the game that kind of clicked? Like, hey, all right, this is. We're going to be fine. Like, man, there, there's a few moments that kind of come to mind. There were times where they brought it within, like, uh, I, I'm re-looking at the play-by-play. When they brought it back to within four at the 651 mark, Chris Youngblood hit a jumper, 63-59. I was like, okay, we're, we're fine. Charlotte at that point had gone kind of cold. Um, for the most part from field goal. Like they, they, they were free throws, but you know, they weren't having efficient trips to uh, uh, on their, on their drives and everything like that. So I was feeling really good about that. And we're hit a transition three to go back up seven points. And I was like, Oh, we're done. Like uh, the superstar on their team is about to take over. He shushes the crowd. You know, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, good night, have a good one. Sorry, guys, they fought, you know, to the bitter end and everything like that. But the real moment, and and it has been talked about, an underrated moment. I'm glad it's getting the airways that it has. When Jaden Reed pickpocketed the Charlotte player coming up, who I mean, we you knew what he was going to do. That guy was going to turn his shoulder and just sit there for 10 seconds and not let it just let the clock drain for a little bit. There was, I think like a minute left and, and USF was down four. You knew what was going to happen in that instance, but Jaden Reed some way, somehow Brooklyn ball pickpockets him steals layup, 
now it's a one point game. That was the moment I knew we were going to win. <laughs> it took up until, you know, a minute and 12 was on the, on the clock. And I knew at that point, Charlotte wasn't going to hit another basket because defensively they were stifling the best five minutes. All it took was just one opportunity and God bless him. Brandon Stroud failed it and redeemed himself in the same like two set to like 25 seconds. Just that, that, that instance was just such an emotional roller coaster from like top to bottom to get a flagrant one. Yeah. You're like, this is the best day ever. And then he misses both. And you're like, this is the worst day ever. And he, yeah, they leave him alone. And then he just, Oh my God. I, that I'm so happy for him. Like, first off, that was because I bless him. He lost that game and he missed those two free throws. I, I, I wouldn't suit back up. I'd be like, yeah, I'm cooked. Sorry. Sorry, coach. Another good moment was when the announcer kept saying they needed to push the ball inside and then USF hit back to back threes. That one, <laughs> that was another fun one. Just like I'm looking back at those graphs. Somebody needs to recreate these in like a roller coaster tycoon. That'd be pretty good. I'm pretty sure you'd kill all the guests, but you know that would <laughs> definitely help the population problem in roller coaster tycoon. Where I think you can only what, have like 200 people in the park or something like that. Yeah, you gotta get rid of them. Anybody else do the like the shuttle loop up and then like build the land up and put a cactus on it and let the and speed up the roller coaster so it would hit the cactus? We didn't actually. No, I try to make my theme park fun. I didn't actually. We didn't actually oh, play. We're not good. nerd. No, no, yeah, no, 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 uh, right after Milicic hit his three to go up seven in the, late in the second half, was off of a drive from Selton Miguel where he dished it to uh, Brandon Stroud in the corner, who swings at Jaden Reed, hits a three, semi-contested to kind of stifle Charlotte's momentum, get the crowd back into it a little bit more, and then you know the next couple of uh, plays uh, kind of change change the game. Um, it's it's crazy to me that in year one, this is happening, right? Like 15 and five, eight straight wins. You're first in the, you're first in the conference right now. Uh, you're guaranteed to not have a losing record in conference play for the first time in 12 years, um, which is downright remarkable and unfathomable to comprehend that a team has been this bad for so long. And you see the support that this program will get when there's a winner. And you just got to be consistent with it, right? Like even the CBI team in 2018, 2019, there were fans there, but you need to be able to sustain it. And I, I'm not naive enough to believe that, you know, <coughs> AAR is not, um, He's going to be a hot coaching commodity. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. When if he stays, who freaking knows? There's going to be enough good jobs open down the line. Like, if Louisville is, keeps homeboy, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. 
Like it doesn't make any sense if they if they keep him. Um, he wins at every level, turns around programs. But for now, man, this is fun. God bless this. Is, I mean, Seth, we even got you into we even got you into basketball. Yeah, I was not interested in watching rock fights. So like <laughs> when I'm looking, you know, a couple of years ago, it's the worst three point shooting team of all time. I was like, I'll pass. You know, I, I won't watch that. But yeah, this is a fun to watch. Team's really tough, um, really resilient, which is kind of fun to watch because especially with how basketball is played now, the like 20 point leads aren't what they used to be. And I think we've seen that just with, you know, it's really if, if one team gets hot from three and the other one goes cold, those games can go the other way in a hurry. So, um, and with a team that's got that kind of attitude to not quit, uh, they've been a lot of fun to watch. So, and I think one thing that you kind of talked about a little bit of excitement, really good crowd for the game. We had a bunch of people in the Discord that were there. They said it was awesome. I was nervous. Uh, I wasn't, it wasn't the disappointing thing for me. Wasn't as much early when it looked like it could get out of hand. It wasn't so much that um, the game was turning to a blowout. It's like you finally got people invested a little bit. And then it looked like it was going to be like, and like, right. uh, Nick, uh friend of the show, Nick Simon, blog boy, round table member, Nick Simon has said, I think he said, I don't I think it was about AAR. Uh, but he talked about Jeff Scott previously would, you know, killing the town using a wrestling term, killing the town. That's when you go in and do something so bad that nobody wants to come back again. Um and he and this it, w- it wouldn't have been a killing the town moment, but it would have really hurt, I think, a lot of the momentum they built. If you get this huge game, you get the crowd there and then they get waxed on national TV. But I mean, now you're building towards a really big game coming up. In the next, what is the next couple weeks? February eighteenth at home. It's a Sunday nooner um, on ESPN versus Florida Atlantic. Now you can't crap the bed over the next two day, next two games. Saturday uh, at Rice, February tenth at three p.m. and then on Valentine's Day, uh, I am sure uh, wives and girlfriends will love that. Um, going to see Tulsa. Let's go. Let's go see Tulsa. Or, honey, we can't do anything. Uh, the Bulls are on ESPNU. I can't. I can't leave. So, uh, man, uh, just don't trip over yourselves these next two games. And that game has Uber stakes uh, attached to it. Oh yeah. Um, ba- honey, what's wrong? You've hardly touched your case in French fryer. <laughs> um, something interesting listening to AAR's uh, post game was there was a and people talked about in the first half how heated Coach Amir was getting at the refs for some of the calls, and he made a mention that like the players like. I think it was either Brandon, some combination of like Brandon Stroud or Chris Youngblood or uh, Miguel. Someone basically was like, "Coach, like you need to calm down." <laughs> like, like a like telling your coach you need to calm down. We've got this kind of thing. Like that that calm demeanor that we talked about that Coach Amir has consistently preached it to this team. 
you're now kind of seeing why we thought it, why we've been mentioning it so often is because it's, it's not just about him being calm. It's about the effect that it has on his team and they're able to recognize, okay, we need to reel this back in. Like if case and prior gets a little hot, you know, with some of the calls, it brings him to the sideline, reels him in and says, we're good. We got this next play. We're good. Same thing for, you know, the other side, you know, Amir was, Amir even made a, a funny story about how, uh, if, if he ever acts out of line or anything like that during a game, his mom calls him and just is a boy, you are not too old for me to chew your ass out. His mother <laughs> calls him to tell him to like, he needs to, you know, keep his shit in a row. Like that, that's just, that's, that's fantastic to hear about this team. Like, the more and more that we're hearing about this team off the court, or I'm falling in love with everything that they do, you know, from how they practice, from how they, how Amir has been giving coffee to, to students for, for these things. Like, she, like we need, like we need a coach Amir Abdul Rahim, like poster in the Starbucks on campus to, you know, preach like, Hey, you get your coffee, come to a game. Like that's his thing. Get some Starbucks the England center it's fun it was fun so uh do we want to talk about what happened to women's basketball uh they poo-pooed the bed we can talk about it. we probably should give a like five minutes to talk about them right that seems too long I got. I got a. Ser- I got a serious yeah, question. Yeah. Do you think that on? I don't know when the last full moon was before the season. But do you think at, on the last full moon before the season that AAR and Jose were in different areas and they both said the exact same thing at the same time, and their basketball team's success totally switched? Like a Freaky Friday, because that's how it feels. It feels like this is a Freaky Friday season. Isn't that, isn't that a Wish Upon a Star? Or, or yeah, Wish Upon it's, a Star in uh, the DCOM with Catherine Heigl. It's I been mean, it's been done to death, but it's it's, I mean, Friday. Golly, you got whooped by Rice. Like you lost by ten to Grain. Mm. That's not ideal. Um, I don't know, man. This team don't. This team doesn't have it. No. I think that's they. They sometimes have, it, but they don't. No, they know. They they never had it. This team, they, quite uh, frankly, never. They had it for that one game Sammy played, and that was it. Right. And and I hate to kind of like because I I hate the injury excuse because like Jose's loaded this team talent. Like they're, they're, there's not with, notwithstanding, you know, they're talented. You know, most of these girls have been playing on an international level for most of their careers. They just don't have it. They they don't have that killer instinct in them. I mean, they were up I, at one point in this game. I think they were up at 13 and then just let it slip, let it slip, let it slip going into the second tied at halftime. Just couldn't couldn't rekindle anything that they had going and they really have at any night three girls who score and then non-contributions from 
most of the rest of the team. And I understand certain role players have certain responsibilities and Jose's got a certain coaching style and everything like that. But like there, there needs to be some, some wholesale changes after this year. And, and I mean, calling a spade a spade, we'd be doing the same thing with football. We'd be doing the same thing with basketball. They, there need, there are some girls who have not lived up to the expectations that they either came in with or had shown previously. And that's the problem right now is that you're, you're getting great contributions out of two newcomers, technically three newcomers right now. And mm-hmm. the rest of these girls that were recruited here out of high school, out of, out of, you know, international play and everything like that overseas are just not living up to what they should be doing right now. And I think you're kind of seeing the reason why Jose went after Amy Thompson from Minnesota as hard as he did to get her to commit here is because and to a point at some point, the the finesse and fun and everything like that you see in Europe and, and the style of play there, it translates when you can hit shots yep. and when there's someone that can consistently score and they don't have that. And so what ends up happening is you're just having to give it to your true freshman, Vicky Bossy, who is phenomenal, hit back-to-back threes to try to crawl USF back into this game, but there's no one else supporting her. You you get She gets double-teamed basically because there's no one else that can threaten to score on the outside, and that's their problem. No one else can threaten to score from the outside, so you cover the one girl that can, and it's cooked. I mean, the, thankfully for them, I mean, at least the rest of the year, they play some of the teams that aren't playing their expectations. Um, so there's a chance they'll get to like 18 wins, but man, I mean, they still have to play ECU at you. They still have to play Tulsa at Tulsa. They have to play at SMU. Um, it's just, they're not, it's not, and that's fine. You know, they've built up enough of a reputation with USF women's basketball that it's fine. They're having an off year. There's still five games over 500. There's still, over 500 in conference play it's fine let them let let them get to the off season let that let the season mercifully in yep Please. can i can i throw out a couple shooting numbers from this this game for you oh god is it the 12 oh. of 41 <laughs> no no uh oh yeah yeah, yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes it is the 12 of 41 yeah, uh, Vicky and uh, Rami Levy uh, combined to shoot twelve of forty-one uh, on the night, and uh, he doesn't trust anybody on his bench, and uh, it's hard to win like that. Uh, but on a lighter note, you know who is living up to expectations? USF women's golf mm. cruising yeah. to a. First place finish in the FAU Invitational, um, Paradise Invitational. Uh, Melanie Green continues <laughs> to plant herself as the best women's golfer in program history. Uh, finishes at first. Uh, she's ranked 25th in the country. Uh, she finished uh, six under par. Uh, the team as a whole finished seven under. Second place, Denver finished three under par. They were the only two teams to finish under par for the tournament. Um, what head coach Erica Brennan has done for this program. I mean, I noticed it when she got hired that there was a difference with the program. 
And it's just continued to improve. And the fact that she was able to keep Melanie here when she is by far one of the best golfers in the country um, is a testament to what the culture of the program is. And no shade to women's tennis, but uh, it'd be like if women's tennis was able to keep Sierra Berry. Like that's, that's what they were able to, that's what women's golf was able to do with Melanie Green keeping her in Tampa for this, her senior year, they're going to go places. Like this is a tournament team. They're, I, they could, they could absolutely get the match play. Um, I'm excited for what the future holds. Uh, um, yeah. Fifth win under head coach, Erica Brennan in six years. Uh, this team has been, uh, it's been, it's been really fun to watch because men's golf has kind of carried the country club sports for quite a while. And to see now women's golf kind of also, you know, taking charge, it's going to be nice. Oh yeah. And I think they, they had two. Right? Yeah. The tennis uh, came back from uh, King came back against what Stetson five, four, 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 three. It was five, five in the final set and they uh, broke them. I'm almost positive. Yeah, blew a, blew a five three lead, but still won. Very weird situation. Um, I, I started watching because I was like, "Oh, uh, pivotal!" You know, third set on court six. These are my favorite matchups. Um, the Stetson girl like feigned an injury, I think, and like they mm. had like a five minute timeout, and then this is when they were she was down five or she was down four three and just getting worked and then they like taped up her ankle and then she came back and won the next two sets after that and yeah it was, it was wild okay good win sure um quickly on uh women's golf the, their next uh match yeah. is february 25th 26th the westbrook invitational uh in arizona uh for some reason it looks like wisconsin is the host of that hmm sure Okay, whatever, dude. Um, I guess they're I mean, down there probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't golf in Wisconsin in February, so I get it. No. Um, but uh, good start by them. Uh, two other girls finished in the top ten as well uh, for uh, women's golf in this uh, tournament. Let me actually get you the names real quick because they deserve. Uh, Linaros. Praise. Yes, and. Oh, yeah. Um, That's some great merch, by the way. Lenore, yeah. Lenore uh, Medeiros finished tied for six um, with a three under? Two under. Two under? I was trying to. I, Melanie was seven. Six. Six under. Was, yeah, six. So I was trying to do the quick math. And then Azeli uh, Vidal also finished tied for six at two under as well. Um, Good stuff. Every, all five uh, golfers finished in the top thirty-five, which is that'll that'll lead to some success uh, for your team. Now, some would think that we are skirting around it or doing other things, but I we felt pre-show making sure that we discussed men's basketball and what they were able to accomplish was priority. However, it was quote-unquote, national signing day for your USF football team. Uh, there were a 
few more signees, a, a transfer. Um, Stieg, I'm going to let you take over and discuss some of the guys who entered the realm of USF football. Yeah, it kind of fun the National Signing Day now that it's all wrapped up basically prior to this, uh, prior to today. Uh, but yeah, so USF ended the day with uh, five additional um, signatures. I guess I don't know how to, to, to discern these anymore. Um, we'll start from the probably one that people were kind of waiting on last time. Uh, Dylan Platt from Venice High School, cornerback, Ari Star. Didn't sign in the early signing period. Signed here. All's good there. We're all fine. Uh, we were told that Damien Gill was not going to sign with USF. You can do with that what you will. Uh, James Chenault signed with USF. He was a late addition to the class. Uh, he is, uh, again, a three-star cornerback from Jones High School in Orlando. A great little signing there. Uh, Transfer-wise, uh, they announced Langston Lex Long. He is a linebacker from Virginia. A lot of experience there uh, should help out with the depth and maybe even fight for a starting role at times. Weird uh, Wiener, uh, size-wise, uh, played between like linebacker and free safety throughout uh, his time, so definitely want to watch. And uh, the, the surprise, if you were not in the Discord, was Cameron Campbell. Uh, signed with USF from Tampa Bay Tech, uh, a three-star corner as well. So that put USF with three three-star corners signing today. You could see where the issues were with the team last year. Uh, he is the highest-rated corner that USF got. He was previously committed to Michigan State, and I mean, had every offer you could think of when you commit to a Big Ten school like that. So uh, a great last-minute addition to the class, and then uh, a handful of walk-ons that. I, I want to give them their their time and their their praise and everything, but I also don't want the you know I don't want the uh, thing to go on for like three hours. Um, but yeah, overall uh, the class ended up back in the top fifty. Uh, they're at forty eighth on two four seven as it currently stands. Uh, the average I think is like second, or uh, the average recruit ranking is like second in the conference or something like that behind I think UTSA uh, since they got like a five star transfer from LSU. <clears throat> but overall. Uh, this is the best group of five recruiting class in the last like five years. Um, it's one of the best since the Houston Ed Oliver class that again, they had a five-star commit out of high school that was like numbered like 15 overall in the country. So a uh, great class. This was all wrapped up well beforehand. Um, most of these guys are already on campus practicing and conditioning and have fun with being. Um, real quick, looking at the composite rankings there, uh, Stiegbert, uh, it looks like it, yeah, UTSA 85. No, USF, even composite ranking, USF has the highest rated class in the American Athletic Conference. 85.4. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It says yeah, 28 it's, commits. It's... 28, I'm looking at recruit AAC football team rankings. Yeah, come on. You go and click recruit, and then you go overall. Yeah, why would I do that? That's yeah. Seriously, that's that's another clip, Uh, and it's mostly because like Demarco Augustine and Brent Austin, the our two transfer uh, back from um, James Madison and Youngstown State, aren't ranked, and so they are automatically placed at a zero star. 
There's, I mean, the, the, yeah, and the composite, they got the number one average. Yeah. Um, just as a quick aside, uh, two four seven needs to get a navy rider because sixteen commits is not right. Go to rivals if you want true navy. They got like eighty four. Like they have a full roster. Um, just be mindful of that. Um, the rankings, like the overall ratings, were probably the same, but only sixteen commits is insane. Um, they need a dedicated two four seven rider, but that's for another podcast all entirely. Um, but all's well that ends well. I do love. Um, I was listening to Golish's press conference today on the way home from work, and he was talking about proof of, proof of concept. We've we've discussed this ad nauseum. He said, you know, we have proof of concept with the offensive guys. Hey, this is the routes that you can run. This is who's going to be throwing you the ball. This is who you're going to be blocking for. This is who's going to be blocking for you. Um, and then he flipped it to the defensive side. He's like, well, here's a scheme. And you see the deficiencies. Can't you imagine you in that position and how many plays you'd make? And, I mean, if that ain't brutal honesty um, and how guys recruit players, I, I don't know. I don't know what is. Um, I, I just I got I got a chuckle out of uh, that bit of honesty um, from head coach Alex Golish. Is probably he's sleep deprived from being at the basketball game and uh, wrapping up signing days. He just kind of let that one go. Yeah, I mean, I think when it's that is a thing, you know, in recruiting. Absolutely. When when, when it's when it's bad, you say, well, don't you think you can make that play? See, see, here's the idea. Don't you think if you were there, look, don't you think you could make that play? Because it's not, you can't really sell. Hey, look at all these missed tackles, you know, <laughs> like the guy, it's kind of like they're in position, right? Like, would you make that tackle? <clears throat> One thing I thought um, that jumped out to me when kind of looking at guys they brought in today was kind of that length at corner. Campbell 6'1", Platt 6'3". Um, I think Golish said Platt's like a corner you'd build in a lab almost. Like he's he's got the length and you know and all that stuff you'd like. Um, and then the uh, the transfer six three two twenty. He's linebacker, but like Steve said, he played a little safety and he was a safety in high school. So uh, probably an athletic backer. Um, maybe gives you some flexibility. Uh, and so that was kind of and even Chenault is six feet tall, but. Yeah, and, and Rucker from Tennessee is also six feet, so that like they longer corners. <laughs> yeah. So, and um, we'll see. I, I would imagine. I think so. Uh, Miami's corners coach left today, right? To go to the Bills. Is yeah, that, it was that happened today. Uh, obviously, people are wondering if that would lead to Demarcus Van Dyke going back to Miami, but. Um, we've put in the discord in a couple spots. He was on the field in 2021 and then got taken off the field in 2022. And then in 2023, he went to FIU, right? Cause he only had FIU for one season, right? Correct. So Mario took him off the field <clears throat> and then he left and went to FIU. Now maybe it was something where like, they had really good feelings. You weren't ready, you know. Go to here. We'll help go to FIU, but 
I'd imagine he started off the field, worked his way onto onto the field, was a really good recruiter when he was in the recruiting, you know, was able to go out on the road and recruit. And then you take him back off the field. I'd imagine that could lead, and I don't have any inside info on this, but that could lead to some hard feelings. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. But there is another coach that Miami is apparently taking, and it's not Demarcus Van Dyke. No, it's not. Running backs coach Matt Merritt is heading over uh, to Coral Gables. Um, interesting. I mean, he he got the he was one of the top forty coaches under forty. He got that from the uh, AFCA. I feel like I left the letter out, but he was one of the top coaches, um, as top assistant coaches uh, under forty. Um. I think it's going to hurt recruiting-wise. I think he was a pretty good recruiter. As a running backs coach, I think you can find another good recruiter put it running backs coach. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy who – never mind. <laughs> yeah. There's – I think, you know, we, we haven't – we've kind of been looking to try to connect the dots and see if there's any – uh, you know, anybody out there maybe that might fit. Um, nothing really jumps out at us right now. Mm-hmm. I tried to, I was going to look back. Now, Golish was for one season a running backs coach himself when he was at Illinois. Again, he did running backs and tight ends. Um, so he knows what he wants there. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back and look and see if there's anybody kind of. That's the other thing. GA spots don't typically go to running backs coaches. You know what I mean? It's quarterbacks, quarterback. linemen. The running backs coach is not a spot where you're like, oh, yeah, we had our running back. You know, typically there might be, but um, a lot of times I, I, they're extra I don't, Brett, I don't think Brett Keen's in line for that. Yeah, right I, I would. That's that would be I'm I would think this could be an external hire. Um, they did just bring in another graduate assistant, I think. Yeah. Uh, or a quality control guy, but he's a quarterbacks coach, I believe. Now, run it like. Like I said, running backs coach, you could, you can, kind of find guys to put there, and they'll be all right. But if you can get a guy that's already coaching, that'd be lovely as well. Yeah, I think he's gonna dig deep into the rolodex and 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 pull someone up. I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, at this point, if it's like a high school coach, just because, like, at this well, point, it's kind uh, of a weird. Clearwater had. Clearwater Academy International just shut down football, so maybe he can jump on staff. Wait, what happened? Yeah, yeah. They just they just said they were shutting down football because uh, it was the oddest statement you'll ever read. The statement C-A- is CAI, C-A- like wow. BCAI. The statement yeah. the statement is we've grown beyond football in Florida. We need a national schedule. Then the next paragraph. We don't have the money to pursue a national schedule, so we're going to shut down football. That was basically the statement. That's crazy. I did not. It is did not, did not I'd imagine there's coming. something weird going on there. Like, it just uh, seems so strange to me that you're like, oh, we've we're, we've got too big for Florida, and then I saw some people saying, oh, they just you know nobody will schedule them. But then like one of the first responses is somebody going, well, I guess we need a week four game now. Like it's. <laughs> It's yeah. It's not. You know. It's um. 
I, there's got to be it some accreditation issues or something. Something it's, happened. It seems strange to me, but That's you know, I don't, I don't know. because they they ran and not to go off a tangent here, they ran like an independent schedule. They weren't. They're not classified under like FSA. Yeah, because they recruit. They, like, to, interna- they do recruit like internationally, right? So, uh, so and schools stopped playing them. Like Tampa stopped playing them. Basically, like they couldn't find anyone to to play up against. Because I know Jesse and and the rest of that group had been like searching for opponents for the past like six months, trying to find someone like like from their schedule last year. I think only like one school like agreed to play again. It's 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 a it's a sad situation too because I mean it's they helped with like the NFL Academy stuff too. They were a really um, good program. I mean, it's also yeah, like they just ended up playing like IMG like three times last year. They played some, so they played some. That's the thing, though. They're not like they're not IMG. They're not IMG good. They're not in that stratosphere. Um, I'm looking at their schedule last year. They went five and five. They played some teams out of state, but. Um. Yeah. So it's it, it. It is a good program, and they do produce the thing. They produce a lot of really good players. So, from the USF perspective, and it's a lot of international guys. Um, having so having all these international guys come there, it's right in your backyard. It's not too you know. It's not too hard to get out there and recruit. And I think they had a good relationship with the staff. So that's unfortunate, but. Who knows? Maybe there. Maybe this is like a leverage play to try to get more. But I. I don't know. It just seemed really weird. So weird. Wow. Uh, for it to go yeah. down like that. So. Yeah, that's great. I did not see that at all today. Um, how about that? Um, well, as we dive into minute forty-six of this recording, we are going to get out of here. Um, it's been a fun week. Go beat Rice on Saturday. Don't do anything stupid over the weekend, folks. Um, quick reminder, Seth and I will be in Orlando this weekend at the Nike Coaches Clinic, the Coach of the Year Clinic. With um, We'll have insights on uh, Seth. You'll get there Friday. There's what? Uh, Mac Brown. Coaches. Uh, Mac uh, Brown coach, uh, talks on Saturday. Uh, Billy Napier, a bunch of head coaches on Friday night. Um, and then on Saturday, uh, some USF folks. And then Sunday morning, some more USF folks will be talking. We'll be there. Full coverage in the Discord. Five bucks a month gets you access to it. That's where all the information from the Coaches Clinic will be. Make sure you're subscribed. Like, tell your friends. Um, it's been it's been fun. We're doing being able to do this, being able to afford to do this. Um, we talked about it off air before we started recording. Um, it's something that we weren't able to do a year ago. Um, so this has been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we'll have, uh, yeah. Andrew Warsaw, who's the chief of staff, uh, we'll be talking on Saturday in, uh, how do we pronounce Gio's last name? Cord, 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 Uh, so the head strength coach USF is going to be talking (laughs) about the strength program on Saturday. So that'll be cool. And then on Sunday, Jeff Jones, who was Golish's high school football coach, uh, is going to be talking. And then Effie Levy, who's the director of player personnel, is going to talk roster management. So uh, there should be some fun tidbits in there. And these are really – these are situations that coaches really relax a little bit more in, and you'll get more 
uh, you'll get a little bit less of the coach speak in there. Um, oddly enough, you'll get more like <laughs> reality and they'll be honest with you. So these are really fun settings to go to. Um, and then hopefully we can make some connections while we're there and that'll help us uh, bring even better stuff to you guys. But yep. Should be a fun time. Excited to learn some balls from uh, some some great coaches uh, across the board. Uh, former USF player Danny Verpel will be there as well. So excited to uh, friend talk of the to show. him again. Whether yep. he knows it or not. <laughs> friend of the show, Danny Verpel. Uh, we, we, we talked to him and watched his uh, session a couple of years ago. So excited to do that again. Um, with that said, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, check out uh, Amar Jackson did not push off uh, Substack story about men's basketball. Make sure you're checking out the top 10 plays uh, of the USF football season that he's also posting. Uh, phenomenal stuff. Make sure you're checking it out. Tell your friends. With that, go Bulls. Enjoy your weekend. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. <laughs>